From the hills of central New York and in the heart of the Finger Lakes, this is Frankly Speaking. My guest on this episode of Frankly Speaking is Chris Sugal, a certified golf course superintendent on the Kohler Company, responsible for the Straits course along the shores of Lake Michigan. Colorado State graduate went looking for a beach during his formative turf grass years, only to wind up back in Wisconsin. Unfortunately, he is a Red Sox fan that's only partially made up for his love of the Green Bay Packers. He has some enormously curious links to Harry Gill, the father of the STMA, along with George Toma, and an interesting history with the Milwaukee Brewers. And our discussion began with what it's like working for the Kohler Company as the golf course superintendent at Whistling Straits. Welcome to Frankly Speaking, Chris Zugel, the golf course superintendent at Whistling Straits Golf Course, right? That is correct. Thanks for taking the time out of your schedule. I want to get right to uh, the conversation about what it's like to work at Whistling Straits and more broadly, what it's like being a superintendent in the Kohler operation. I know the guy that coordinates a lot of that work at some level, Mike Lee. I knew him from my time in Wisconsin. What's it been like for you? You've been at Kohler a fair amount of time yourself. What's it like working in resort golf for Kohler? Uh, well, I like it a lot. It's uh, Every day is a new challenge, especially being here along the lake where you, I had uh, a winter coat and a stocking hat on this morning, so it's, uh, <laughs> it's, you never know what you're going to get. Yeah, for um, those not watching us on News Channel 6, it's August, and <laughs> Chris is dressed like it's winter. Yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm probably dressed like it's winter more, more times than not out here. We get warm, but it's not a regular occurrence. But Kohler, you know, they, they did a, you know, Pete Dye and Mr. Kohler created a beautiful operation here with four great golf courses. I work on the Straits course, which is right along Lake Michigan. You know, we've held multiple majors and the public is is always dying to get out here, so it's uh it's pretty exciting to be able to create memories for them and you know, prepare a golf course daily that that they'll go home and talk to their friends about and remember where Jason Day hit his drive or, you know, um, which bunker they were in and all that sort of stuff when they watch the highlights on the Golf Channel. Right, and they certainly all want to be in the bunker that uh, Dustin Johnson uh, grounded his, his club in. You, you you mentioned a couple of things in just introducing it, uh, and that is the influence of the lake. Talk for a minute about just what it's like being on top of the lake like that. And for most people that haven't had a chance to see it in person, it's hard to really capture a picture of it, but I remember walking on that landscape when it was flat as a pool table. It is a completely manufactured landscape. It, correct. So they, they moved in a, approximately about 800,000 cubic yards of, of sand and soil to create what you see today out on Whistling Straits. And you're right, we're, we're right on the water. So every hole has a, if you're not in the water, for everywhere on the golf course, you can see the lake. Um, and we actually kind of poke out a little bit out into the water. So any wind that's not... Um, from the southwest is basically cold. Uh, it's like sitting on a next to an air conditioner all the time because the the wind just comes right off the water and it's a, it's interesting. It's nice because you you know it is cooler. So when the the guys inland are struggling during the summer, um, we feel a little bit of reprieve. But 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 at the same time, you know, and and tying these two topics together. You know, one the lake creates some challenges in how you're managing your 
playing surfaces, and we'll get into the details of that later on in our conversation, but certainly the lake constrains you. I wanted to start out by talking about how just being a resort golf, as you described, people are really wanting memories out there, which I got to believe do not include recently core-airified top-dressed putting surfaces, for example, or recently core-airified top-dressed fairways. So that's just maybe some simple examples, but can you talk for a second? I know you've been at this operation quite a long time in your career. Can you can you really distinguish what you think is a salient difference between the way you run your operation and Matt runs in at, at the Irish course and the guys out at the Black Wolf Run place? How you run those compared to uh, maybe the way a run-at-a-mill place works, like a country club or even a daily fee place? Yeah, that's, that's a good point because the, the people, the players that are coming here, they're, they don't care if we've aerated. They've paid their money um, to play out here. So it's we, we plan all, all our airification around kind of the shoulder seasons of, of when the, the normal golf season is. So, you know, early, as soon as the snow melts, we'll start airifying our greens so that we just kind of impact the least amount of golfers. Um, and then also in the fall, we might airify some things, but we, we definitely try to avoid any airification because our goal is to provide that player on that day with the best possible golf course. And it, you can't say like, oh, you should have came in a week because, you know, the, <laughs> the greens were, were way smoother and they actually cut the rough or whatever it is. You, you can't really say that because they don't care because it's, you know, planning trips around, you know, getting out here and mm-hmm. whatever, anything um, kind of the lines and all that stuff. It's it's a little different than a normal country club where you have your scheduled maintenance and they're aware of that. Um, you know, we get guys that call up and they'll call. We get calls already for next summer saying, will you be airifying the week of July 3rd? And we can tell them confidently, no, um, because it, unless an unforeseen circumstance, which you know is is rare to to basically never, we're not airifying at that time. So we can tell them they can book their their trip, they can plan everything else that they that they want to do, and come here and know that they're going to get the best conditions at that time. And that's it's kind of something that we pride ourselves on, and it's it's kind of uh, you know as you said, the the four courses up here, you know, we all work together to make sure that right. there's continuity and all that. That's right. And, and, and certainly what I've noticed over the years is that it, it looks like a, uh, you know, a very sort of methodical business-like approach to the resort golf business, uh, that, that the Kohler companies have gotten into in, in just such a wonderful way, you know, having lived in Wisconsin and been to Kohler, uh, so many times I got to stay in the old course hotel over there in St. Andrews as well. I mean, they just don't do anything, but at the highest level. And I think, you know, set the standards for guys like Mike Kaiser and other developers that have tried to come behind and really create an experience like this. It's very customer service oriented, but in general, you're staffed pretty well to do the work. Can you talk for a minute about what it's like to manage a golf course at the scale you have to? And, and certainly the average listener, a superintendent, would like to know sort of what is the acreage of your rough and sort of how much staff time gets allotted to, to manage those kinds of spaces, to the extent you can tell me. Yeah, um, well, between the two properties here at Whistling Straits, it's Roughly, let's say, let's 500 acres as far as rough that's maintained, parking fields that are uh, for tournaments, all that sort of stuff. They all get kind of different levels of, of maintenance throughout the year and annually, semi-annually. So all that kind of moves around a little bit. There's about 100 guys that work out of our operation during the summer. And that number seems a little crazy when you start to think about it, but the Straits course alone has about 1,000 bunkers 
most of them you can't get into with a SAM Pro. So it's it's a it's an operation that is is extremely tied to to hand work and and a lot of walking, a lot of uh, hand raking, and we're really dependent upon the local population, high school kids and college kids during the summer to help us out because that's when you know we're the busiest and the the most work we're cutting. We're we get the rainstorms where we may need to fix bunkers and things like that. Mm-hmm. And Whistling Straits and Kohler Company has such a great reputation in the area that it's it's been I wouldn't say easy, but it, it's nice for us because we have you know working for Kohler, working at Whistling Straits is a is a great opportunity for these kids whether they work here and then they move on to something else in the business in the company whether they're going to be an accountant or in sales or things like that the the list of guys that have raked bunkers and then gone on to be a you know a senior senior sales manager is mm. you know too many to count you got accountants you got you know go you can go work at a, a health club you can work at the hotel a right. restaurant you know so all the opportunities they can kind of stay in the family and then just move around um so it's been we've been pretty lucky and it's especially with the amount of amount of work we have to do it we're we're really requiring all those all those hands on deck. Well, it's it's so fascinating because you really cut to the chase of what I sort of think when I think about the Kohler operation. Every place I get to see it, anyway, it it looks like it does embody uh, some of those things uh, that make for a sustainable ethical organization, and and that is that that constant investment in the local community. That the the operation out there is a form of recreation that people are willing to pay a premium for. And uh, as long as everybody's making, you know, a fair amount of income and and it looks like a sustainable business operation, which clearly it has. And I would say tournament uh, golf is part and parcel to that by keeping it a marketing tool and and things like that. That's sort of the way the community has embraced it and you're able to provide those opportunities. And to me, that's exactly what embodies a good old fashioned Wisconsin operation. I mean, I, I, I worked there long enough, Chris, to sort of work among a lot of the folks in the the rank and file of the Wisconsin industry. And that's exactly, you know, the way it always looked. It's like, hey, we're going to give you an opportunity to do a fair day's work, going to give you a fair day's pay and look at what happens when you uh, demonstrate your worth here. It's got to feel really good uh, to be a mentor uh, to the young people that come through. I know one of those former kids is Bill Kreiser. Uh, I know you and Matt uh, maybe worked him over a little bit over the years. Um, what that's got to feel pretty good. Yeah, it's. Um, I was just talking to one of our interns about he was. We we're going over kind of some future future paths for him, and you know where he saw himself going. And and it's funny, Bill's name comes up um, more times than mm-hmm. I probably can uh, can remember. He, I think we gave him some permanent mental damage for the amount of string trimming he did out here. Um, we always joke with him about what he what he did, but but Bill came through here. You know, there's been other guys that have moved on. Um, you know, Zach Reineking worked out here. Um, you know the the there's a, you know it's pretty pretty cool to see the guys as they you know they work here and then they move on to to different operations and new experiences yeah, and when yeah. they're they're working at different majors and sending me pictures from from where they're at. It's That's pretty great. cool. Yep. And, and and like you said, Mr. Kohler, his his goal is to basically use these golf courses to shine a light on the Kohler products. So and to shine a light on right. on that the luxurious living that Kohler provides through their plumbing products and interior products. Well and um, and, and, and Mr. Kohler's general love for the game of golf. Yeah, yeah. Well he he's right? definitely he loves golf. He loves uh 
you know, everything about it and the design aspect of it and treats the, the property as a work of art, which it is, and, and understands how important that design aspect of it is. Well, and just like it, it looks sustainable in the community, um, just a little bit of poking around I do in preparation for chatting with someone like you, it looks like there's, uh, you know, a good plan in place for uh, continuing the, the, the tradition, right? Because uh, Mr. Kohler is such a force of nature that, um, you know, one would think, well, you know, is it like a Steve Jobs situation where you're going to see an adjustment? But it looks like, you know, the, the, what you talk about is such embedded in the fabric from how the people come to work there to how the leadership is now succeeding uh, itself. Uh, it's got to be good to be part of that operation. Yeah, it's exciting. Uh, even from, you know, the Kohler has a, a their advertisement on the sleeve of Manchester United. So that's, you know, it's cool. I was watching the game on the weekend and I'm like, oh, it's pretty cool. It's, you know, I love watching Premier League soccer and then to see Kohler on their sleeve, it's, it's, uh, it kind of brings it all together. It kind of ties it all together. All right, Chris, let's take a break and we'll be right back after this message. Finally, a fungicide that's so much more. Civitas Turf Defense is a fungicide, insecticide, and plant protection product that will change the way you look at turf management. Civitas Turf Defense works within the plant to control diseases and pests, reducing requirements for fertilizers and other pesticides. By enhancing stress tolerance, Civitas Turf Defense can reduce water inputs by up to 25% while maintaining acceptable turf quality. Civitas also increases abiotic stress tolerance for improved tolerance to wear and traffic. And with no known resistance issues, there's no worry about maximum yearly application restrictions. Civitas Turf Defense, plant protection redefined. There's more to the story. Visit CivitasTurf.com. All right, Chris, uh, I want to talk a little bit more about golf in Wisconsin as a general, not just the colored properties, but boy, how Wisconsin has become a golf destination. I had this conversation on a couple of episodes ago with Zach Reinking. You know, Aaron Hills is in the game now. Century World just got redone. Sand Valley's being built. There is something about having a lot of those golf courses around there. Uh, you know, you guys were the first on the block. Uh, I think really have uh, perfected it uh, as an experiential thing. I think you set the bar pretty high there, but I got to think in general, there's quite a bit of buzz about golf in Wisconsin these days. There is. I joke with the guys in the pro shop and I'm like, do they know there's, there's other golf courses in Wisconsin to play as well? And I know that they're all busy, but, but I think, you know, having all those courses, Aaron Hills, Sand Valley, uh, Century World, all those places are bringing people in for more of a destination similar to what you do if you go up maybe to Oregon or down to North Carolina or Florida or South Carolina. It's kind of becoming more of a destination for, for guys and families, husbands and wives. I mean, it's we've been busier than ever this year um, where you almost could have thought when you're starting to get some, some competition, maybe that would have been just the opposite. But But it's been busy, and golf in Wisconsin in general – you know the local population loves it. Yeah. It's uh, it's so cold up here for seems like ten months out of the year. <laughs> so that the other two, you gotta get out there and yeah. and really get 
all the sunlight you can because you might not see it for for a while. So um, the local local population comes out as well as you know they get the tourists that will come through and the the golf vacation guys. Yeah, and for sure, for sure, the local population doesn't want to pay the rack rate out there. They're going to play in the shoulders of the season uh, yeah. when it's a little cooler uh, and the rates a little bit uh, more favorable. But part of that buzz is from the fact that. You guys, when you, I mean, you really set the stage. Of course, certainly they played the Greater Milwaukee Open for many years down at Brown Deer. And boy, isn't that still just a wonderful collection of public golf. Those, I met, I saw those folks down there on a trip recently to Wisconsin and just happy to see that. But when you think about, you know, big time tournament golf in the modern day, the Whistling Straits property and Black Wolf Run even before that with the Women's Open, tournament golf's become part of what you do. I wouldn't be stupid enough to ask whether you like it or not because, you know, you wouldn't certainly be there because it's so much of the fabric. But how much does the pursuit and preparation and recovery of tournament golf there guide your decision-making on a regular basis? It plays a huge part. You know, it seems the 2020 Ryder Cup is kind of the end of the horizon for us for, you know, major events and, and larger tournaments. So it's it'll be interesting to see kind of what the what way the wind blows on, you know, what'll come in the future. But up until then, we were always preparing for a major. It was preparing for 2004. It was preparing for the Senior Open in 2007. When that wraps up, you're preparing for the PGA in 2010. And then when that wrapped up, we're preparing for the PGA in 2015. And after that, we go straight into preparing for the Ryder Cup. So it's it's a cyclical decision that we're always we're always seeing what it's what course conditions are at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, always trying to you know, adjust things to see, okay, this is where it is. This is what, you know, this is how the fairways will, will roll. This is how the greens will roll. This is what the rough looks like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, all those sort of things. What's the temperature? Um, you know, what? okay, so we got this year. Let's see what next year. And we'll kind of get some averages and get mm-hmm. some baselines and go through some mock-ups on how far can we push some things mm-hmm. uh, as far as, as dryness, as far as firmness to see, you know, where we're at without mm-hmm. without causing too much of a ripple in the the daily play because uh, you know tournament conditions aren't aren't made for everybody. No, um, and and then and just to, just to sort of take you sideways for a second, since you mentioned the Ryder Cup, you know we're about uh, probably this will be live right during the Le Golf National Ryder Cup this year with Alejandro Reyes and his group there in Paris, outside of Paris and Versailles. You know, preparing for the Ryder Cup uh, has its own unique requirements, I guess. I Well, I'm assuming that, Chris. Correct me if I'm wrong. Is the Ryder Cup a little bit different than the PGAs and the senior events that you've done out there in the past? So we haven't gotten into too much of the details as of yet as far as, you know, rough heights, green speeds, all that sort of stuff. We know working with Kerry Haig is a big bonus going yes. forward working in the past PGA championships and he'll also be the tournament director during the Ryder Cup. So we have some familiarity. He knows who I am. We know who he is. He knows what the course can do and the course knows what kind of almost knows what he wants to do. So right. it's it's been some some adjustments there. But as far as the requirements, the PGA and the USGA events are set up so that they test, but there's still fairness to them. You know, whether it's carries are to fairways are, you know, they're not, we're not making a force carry of 300 yards, you know, right. to get to a fairway right. during a PGA championship. So we've, we've adjusted some things to account for the, the club pros that come that maybe don't hit it as far. Right. But then some of the fine tuning of, you know, the rough height, you know, that may be determined as the tournament approaches, as the players get selected. Cause it's, 
since it's match play, it's more of a team atmosphere on what team, what are your strengths as a team. Mm-hmm. So that's where, you know, we'll come up with those those criteria. And planning-wise, it's a whole nother wrinkle because they don't play the whole golf course. No. So it's going to be, we're going to need to go back out and do maintenance before the the afternoon matches. So that'll be, that's kind of where we're at right now yeah. with our planning is trying to wrap our heads around how right. that looks, how right. can we logistically get out there. So right. most of it relies on logistics as far as tournament planning goes, just kind of whether it applies to green speed or fertility or fungicide, it's just logistically how does that fit into the puzzle. How does having a golf course like uh, a Pete Dye design golf course, which, you know, when I go out there, you know, I'm I'm not good enough golfer necessarily to appreciate sort of the strategic aspects of it. You know, inherently, it looks like a, a very challenging course. It, it looks like it's a sort of a penal design that inherently looks hard, even for the average player. There may be places to play where it's safer, but but it looks like it's hard to me. Am I am I missing it? Uh, I, I think in many ways, one of the challenges you have when you have to set it up for resort golf is to find a way to make it so the average person can play it. And I always look at it and think, man, that looks a little bit tricky for the average person. Uh, what's your sense of it that what you hear or the way you approach the management, do you many times find yourself making management decisions to make it a little bit easier for the average person out there? Not necessarily. Again, it goes back to trying to make sure the conditions are good. So we're not, we aren't pushing greens to the speeds that they'll be during, during a PGA championship. Um, but we, we're not growing the rough out like we need to. So we'll maintain the rough at a height that's, you know, healthy for the turf and healthy for the, the golfer to hit out of. So they're not hacking, breaking clubs, hitting out of it. Um, you know, it's funny you say how difficult it is. Kohler, the most difficult course at Kohler is the river course, um, <laughs> which is in the straights course kind of falls in the middle of all of them. It's not, and Pete did a did a great job when he designed the golf course. It's it's intimidating, it you know. Is. Whether it's it's fairways that run away from you, um, whether you got a the, it looks like you should hit a cut and you really should hit a draw, or there's a bunker that you know it doesn't even you won't even worry about, but all of a sudden it gets in your head. And um, so on paper it's it's pretty easy, but when you're out there with a the club in your hand, yes. you're thinking, oh man. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could do what I'm being asked to do here. Well, but. that's right, and and some of that is, and I and I've appreciated this at Beth Page as well. Is the scale? Things are yeah. big. Every, I mean, the lake is big. The hills yeah. are steep. The mounds are high. The bunkers are deep. Everything is sort of looks like it's at one end of the scale. So it might be, as you say. Uh, for a golf strategist on paper, something you can play your way around. But I think for the average person getting out there, a lot of people aren't finishing the round with the same ball they started with. Is that a fair <laughs> statement? Yeah, I think uh, the caddies get a little they get a little bit of a sore back from carrying around the two dozen golf balls for the front nine, you know, and then they got to go buy another another bag. But uh, most of the time, you can find your ball unless you hit one way off offline. It's you can advance it. It's in the rough, but you can. The caddies out here are great. Okay. Can, it's more, I think it's more visual than it, than it is actually in part of the play. Similar to the old course, you right. know, those, those right. knobs at the old course are right. massive when you yeah. see them in person. That's right. But when you come, when you're watching them on TV, you're like, why don't they just hit it there? It seems yeah. so easy. But um, <laughs> then you see, you're like, oh, that's why they never hit it, you know, right there. So. Yeah. So, so let's, let's get into uh, what you've got out there. Cause I remember again, it, it's a, it happened so long ago in the, 
mid-night, early mid-1990s, I remember being contacted by Mike Lee uh, when he was first taking the job, when they were, uh, they had Black Wolf Run, and they were talking about the Straits at the time, and we were going to do some uh, NTEP fine fescue work, and we were talking about maybe doing additional work and adding some plots up there, and then not long after that, uh, I left for to come back to Cornell, and obviously the Whistling Straits things uh, evolved. It was, in fact, one of the first what, what they thought was major fescue golf courses, maybe Tom Doak's High Point Golf Club in Traverse City might have been one of the earliest tries or or even out in Pebble Beach, Spanish Bay, but certainly a, a bold fescue venture. Uh, I don't think there ever was talk about it for putting greens. I believe you still have creeping bentgrass putting greens, but talk for a second about your understanding of the sort of evolution of those fescue fairways, which may or may not be much fine fescue anymore. Yeah, so you're right. The greens and tees are bentgrass. They're well, Providence or some teas that are Pencross, but for the most part, it's mostly Providence Pencross out here. Um, the fairways are seeded to fine fescue, and you'd be surprised. It's funny, part of the reason I was wearing a winter hat and, and coat, because I was mowing fairways this morning. The guys were challenging me, and if I still remembered how to do it. so And I was surprised at you know, how much fine fescue we still have out there. It blends, you know, the knobs are pretty pretty consistently fine fescue when you get to the lower areas. Bent grass has creeped in. There's some poa across the all the fairways. The rough is, I would say, you know, 99 to 100% pure uh, fine fescue, uh, mm-hmm. whether it's the maintained rough that we mow daily or, you know, keep at a daily height or whether it's the High secondary rough. rough that we let we let grow. You know, that's all, that's your, your pure fine fescue still. But it's it's been a, you know, and as we talked about the lake, it's a, it's definitely a microclimate where there's days when, you know, the the wetness never gets off the leaf, and the, there's places where you're you're destined to have poa. Um, there's low areas where you're destined to have bent grass, and those are, you know, it's it's tough until you fix those places. You're not really you can maybe seed it, but it's not going to be a, right. a viable solution long term in there. Right, and and ultimately, then what you're deciding on is how you know how can you get what seems to by now want to grow there based on the way you have to manage around resort golf. Uh, the kind of play that you get, the expectations that you have, uh, just, just nature of the way water moves on that property and the temperatures are ultimately, at least with the large expanses of fairways, just trying to produce the playing surface that gives them a decent lie to hold those greens, which then now are pure bent grass. I believe you redid them recently. Yes. Our greens are their original from the seating. So they're, and they're pretty pure still. It's been a battle trying to keep the the pull out of those, but and there's some some areas where some kind of drainage basins or walk offs or things like that where it's starting to creep in. But the greens themselves are have maintained a relatively pure stand so far. And when were they planted? Oh, we opened in '98, so they were probably planted maybe '96. They probably started planting some of them. It was a pretty slow process working. And they're Providence and they're Providence bentgrass. Providence, yeah. And and not been interseeded. Have you done interseeding out there? Nope, no interseeding. On the greens, no interseeding on tees. We interseed fine fescue into the fairways at right. times. Okay. Huh. But that's as far as, yeah, we don't we don't add any, any bent seed. All right. Well, listen, let's take another break because when we come back is actually the reason I wanted to have this conversation with you. We've sort of waded our way through to what I think is going to be the most interesting part, the uh, Art of War by Chris Zugel. His, Chris Zugel's interpretation of the a classic text, The Art of War. This is Frankly Speaking. We'll be right back. 
Golf Corps superintendents all agree. Traditional core aeration is time-consuming, labor-intensive, and unpopular with golfers. Dryject is a revolutionary service that relieves compaction, increases water infiltration, improves gas exchange, and amends your root zone all at the same time, leaving the turf surface smooth and immediately playable. Best of all, an independent Dryject service professional does it for you, there and gone before you know it. Dryject, the only process in the world that aerates, top dresses, and amends in one pass. Visit dryject.com to locate your nearest Dryject service center. All right, Chris, I teased everybody the art of war. You know, I had to after we visited a couple of years ago and you first brought it up. You know, me like you being an avid reader, uh, I, I just love reading. I, I love how it slows everything down. I, I love how it sort of it just is a more enriching experience. I, I think it's so important to read on a regular basis. So right after you say I sort of I bumped in, you know, we were visiting at your place and talking about the way you were managing and. And uh, yeah, I sort of look at managing the golf course like the art of war. And I'm like, oh, okay, I heard of that. I know that's an old Chinese war book. Let me go look this up. So I go look this up, and I've been really sort of looking forward to understanding the way you approach this. And I think it has to do a little bit of your business with Daniel Bluegrass. And I won't set you up anymore, but when you look at interpretations of some of these chapters, it's, uh, you know, laying plans, waging war, tactical uh, dispositions, weak points and strong points, maneuvering an army. So uh, where do you want to go as a former liberal arts major uh, in a discussion of the art of war relative to golf course management? Yeah, well, as you said, I, I love reading. I always would hear about business leaders or, you know, well-respected businessmen reading the art of war. And I was like, what? this is really strange. Like, why would you... Why would you be reading a book from I think it's like 500 BC <laughs> on the strategies for war for for business? I never really got it, and it was I picked it up and I'm reading it, and it's it's pretty simple book to read. Um, it's more of mostly little statements as it goes through, just kind of different different thoughts on different things, as you said, like war, or, um, leadership, or all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. And and I was out for a run one day, and it kind of is just rolling through my head as I'm running, and all of a sudden I'm I was probably you know knee-deep and trying to figure out how to manage POA on the golf course and, you know, how to control it, how to get rid of it. And I started to think, like, and it's something we you do all the time, um, whether it's, you know, you, you want to, which, which grasses like nitrogen more than others or which ones need the phosphorus or, you know, how fungicides play a difference. And then I started to kind of see how this stuff would apply, and it's it's just pretty funny. It makes sense. You could probably, I mean, as as I said, businessmen can make it for, selling cereal so i'm sure you can figure out you can do it for anything but i'm like trying to think so you know you start to get into it and it's like one of them is so in war the way is to avoid what is strong strike at what is weak so then you're like oh so what if i stop watering poa instead of you know like i'm trying to get rid of it maybe spraying cutlass or trim it or whatever it is trying to get rid of poa or to manage it like but yet i'm I'm keeping it wet, you know, like, okay, so what if I kind of weaken it that way? What can I do? And I started to think like a head broke on one of the back where we didn't know it wasn't working on the back of one of our tees. And all of a sudden I'm like, man, there's no, there's no, no little spots of pole anymore back here. And I'm like, and it's also really dry, <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you know, you start to how these things kind of impact other things and looking at that and, and trying to put a holistic approach to everything 
you know, from that from that book. I mean, you can read it and there's stuff you kind of skim over, but you know, there's there's a lot of good stuff that you can take with you. So, so in many ways, it sounds like, and again, the reason it struck me is that I'm, you know, I meet so many golf course superintendents in my travels, and I would say at least half the interviews I do, and frankly speaking, are are with golf course superintendents. So, you know, it's something that not only do I enjoy talking with you guys in the profession, the people doing this, but I sort of, I'm, I'm, I'm my own sort of study of you as a as a profession, and what are the keys of successful superintendents and you know i have this thread that i have with almost all the folks that i have on the on the show chris and this is a perfect example of what i call just the right mindset you know uh, you know i've talked with people some people have a real sort of business oriented mindset and and maybe you're going to manage grass you're going to have this kind of mindset but what i liked about it and i want to get your uh, i want to get your feelings on this you said it you said it impacted, well, I'm going to use Cutlass. I, don't, I would like to get rid of the POA. Maybe I should dry it and use the Cutlass at the same time. Now, of course, you know that's also going to look a lot worse uh, right. at the time. So there's some sort of planning that you do because if you go into battle, you know, there's always this how much is going to be lost uh, in that battle as, as much as how much you gain. Are there other examples of where you think, you know, in many ways you see a lot of the way the industry does things to be, wow, it doesn't make sense to do that. Maybe why should we do it that way? Can you think about another example or give me your feelings on another example of how you use this sort of tactical approach to get what you want? It, well, I think it's, it's kind of interesting when you said the industry. And I think, you know, I like, I like following along on Twitter. Um, that's kind of my only social media outlet. Um, I don't spend a ton of time on it. Um, but I, I find it interesting like that that sort of community could also create a lot of problems when you're creating problems for yourself, just because you see some other guys do it. Um, you know, there's times on Twitter when you have people share great ideas and that's something that should be, um, kind of worked through and helped out. And the amount of, it'd be interesting to see the amount of innovation in the turf industry since Twitter started and mm-hmm. before, cause it's, it's gotta be astronomical. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think sometimes people get wrapped up in just to do it, to do it um, kind of mindset. And I think it sometimes sets us back, you know, as an industry where we're doing stuff because whether a salesman comes by and has a product that you need to spray um, or, a, you know, something you need to put out or this is going to be the next greatest thing. And you kind of have a, you almost get that engineered right. uh, need for the, the products that come out. And I think, you know, again, kind of that that mindset of kind of, stepping back and seeing what you're doing um, is something that has helped me, you know, slow down and make the right decision. But it's also kind of simplified what we do out here too. You know, we're not, I don't, I don't like complicated things probably mostly because I I couldn't follow along with them. So I want to keep it as simple as possible, but ultimately I think being simple is, is something that should be kind of maintained and having those good qualities of, you know, the starting with your, your leadership skills and then your agronomic skills and your financial skills and, you know, down the road and how that all works, I think is important. Right. And, and, but, you know, I, I, I guess part of the reason I, I wanted to sort of take the question in this direction is, you know, that's been a successful, well-run Kohler uh, properties for many years with lots of high standards I would imagine, especially since you've been there a very long time, and certainly Mike at the helm has been there from the earliest inceptions, 
that it would be something difficult to make any of these sorts of structural changes? Has it been a little easier because y- y- the approach you've taken has been more simplified and and sort of holistic uh, versus more uh, product driven? I think so. I, you know, Kohler's a big company. Um, Kohler, I, I tell people when I hire them that, you know, Kohler makes toilets. So it's not <laughs> like you're going to be working at a at a country club where, you know, Jan down the, down the hall is going to write your check and, and do that. There's a, there's processes to everything that happened here. And I think once you understand that and, and once you wrap your head around that whole process, Kohler starts to just, it starts to flow a little bit easier. And I think it's when you start to fight is when it, when it really starts to be a problem. And I, you know, it's something that I try and tell people as they come through and leave, you know, like that's the sort of stuff to take with them, those processes. And, you know, that vetting of information is, is vital in the success of a company like Kohler and not only in the golf course, but in what they do on sure. a daily basis. It's, it's really important. And it's, I mean, it's funny, like I just had some, since we were going to talk about it, I kind of highlighted some things and it's the good one from that art of war is plan for what is difficult while it is easy and do what is great while it is small. Yeah. So it's, it's that forethought of trying to think of, you know, do we need this equipment like today, you know, or do we need it how is it looking? Do we need it next year? Do we need to do this this year or can we wait till next year? Let's plan for it while it's not a big problem so that when it is a problem, it's already done and we can move and we're, we're efficient at that. And that's something that I feel that we do pretty good here. And, and so it's planning, it's having the resources, but then it's managed uh, risk, right? If, if you think you're going to do something that might have some risk, you might try it on a smaller scale first before you did a, a widespread implementation. Exactly. Yeah, we're not we don't really go, you know, all in on on anything for that sake unless we've tried and whether it's a nursery or a small section on a golf course where we'll we'll give it a shot if there's any any sort of risk that that could happen, you know, we'll we'll give it a shot even in even projects, you know, we'll start projects on a small scale and just kind of see like is this really what we want to do for that whole this whole next section of the project? Well, it worked really good here. Now we can apply it going forward. Or, hey, it didn't work when we did it. Even if it wasn't a project here, or maybe it was at Black Wolf, we can still pull that knowledge and say, okay, we did it at an acre at Black Wolf. I think we can make it work much larger. But we'll we didn't like this. So we'll change it over here. So that's you know, it's it's great to have all that sort of mindset and, and thought. In wrapping up. Chris, how much does that, you know, you talked about a hundred guys out there and I, I know, you know, meeting Matt and spending time with him on the Irish course, what a joy it is to have people like him around, uh, as turf colleagues. You certainly have them at Black Wolf and there's an exceptional collection of professionals over there as well. You know, do you take for granted sort of how rich the turf management environment is there when, you know, a lot of guys have four or five guys and very, very few people to chat with turf about? You've got a wide uh, sounding board there, don't you? We do. We have, I mean, it's, we definitely don't take it for granted. And it's, it's, we have the, you know, the superintendents here as well as the past superintendents that we all stay in touch with. So the, you know, the alumni of, of the Kohler golf courses is, is pretty deep. Um, and we, we all stay connected and we're all, you know, we're always staying in, in touch and bouncing ideas and they'll call up or we'll call them or it's a privilege to be able to, to call all those guys, you know, colleagues and friends and a great place to have that sounding board for turf. And 
or just personal stuff, you know, like whether the Packers are going to beat the Packers <laughs> or something like that. So, yes, um, and we won't end on the sour note that somehow you wound up a Red Sox fan. Chris, thanks very much uh, for taking the time to join me. Really appreciate it. That was great. Thanks, Chris. Chris Sugel, Golf Course Superintendent, Whistling Straits. I'm Frank Rossi. This is Frankly Speaking. I'll be right back with some final thoughts. It seems there's no lack of curiosity and passion in Chris Ugo. His systematic approach to his career and his work at the Straits make him an excellent role model for the next generation of superintendents. As the team readies for the 2020 Ryder Cup, leaders such as Chris and Matt Zeems at the Irish Course and the over 100 golf course staff will represent the proud community once again of Sheboygan, Wisconsin. We can all be sure Chris will have reviewed The Art of War and I'm sure focused on intelligence in the espionage chapter as they think through creative ways to showcase the wonderful Kohler property along the shores of Lake Michigan. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Frankly Speaking. I'm Frank Ross.